welcome back, bookworms, to the podcast that celebrates everything your bookish soul desires. I'm Frances Everly, and this is The Bookworm Unleashed. Welcome back. I know it's been a while, my friends. I don't know really what to say. There's been so much going on, you know, with the weather causing all these cold viruses and I don't know, the last couple months, I don't think I've ever been as sick so often as I have been. It's horrible, but I am finally feeling better and have decided to cut down on my podcast, not on a weekly basis, but on a for fun basis. And what that means is when I find something I want to share with you guys, I will be right here with an episode exclusively for you. But there will be no scheduled episodes anymore. Unfortunately, my life has gotten too busy for me to keep going on a scheduled basis. But I don't want to let you guys down. And this episode, I am dedicating to all of you for sticking around. Today, I'm going to talk about Morning Glory Milking Farm by C.M. Nacosta. Now, warning here, if you are not into um, monster bait romances, I highly recommend that you turn this podcast off now, as this book is not only monster bait, but it is very, very dirty, with its very own minotaur. So we can thank C.M. Nacosta for bringing this one to us. It caught my attention. I was listening to another podcast talking about this book, and that's how it caught my attention. I thought it would be a really fun read. It's not my normal type of read, but I wanted to expand my horizons and my book-loving soul just had to have it when I saw that the author was at my latest book signing, Dream Dirty in Michigan. So when I saw a fellow reader, fellow book lover walk past my table with this book, I knew I had to get it. And not only did I get a copy for myself, but I got an autographed copy for a friend of mine. I don't know if she's read it yet. Last time I asked her, she hadn't. But if she does, she is going to get her eyes very opened, just like I did. And while I found this book quite amusing... I will let you all decide what your impressions on it are. So, on to Morning Glory Milking Farm. Now, this book takes place with Violet. She is a new graduate. She's got student loans and credit card bills, like we all do, fresh out of college and university, because, hello, education is expensive if if you don't come from money. (laughs) and she is desperate to find a regular job. Now, she would prefer it to be in her field, but she has come to a point where she is too desperate financially to go about ignoring other jobs that might potentially be a good source of income. And so one day she is on a job site. Now, if you're old like me, this could be like monster.com or something like that, LinkedIn, um, whatever. And she is stumbles upon this ad for a milker, a minotaur milker at a pharmaceutical farm 
in a town called Cambric Creek. She is quite nervous about taking this job. She is very, very shy. And uh, I thought she would walk away from it, you know, kind of protest it a little bit. Because initially, it does kind of seem like sex work. She, what is expected is that you go into these farms and you're not milking cows or female minotaurs for milk. You are milking the bulls. Now, in my mind, I kept quite going quite back to um, milking farms, dairy farms, and cows and things like that with all the references in this. It was interesting, to say the least. And I think the author must have spent quite some time on a milk farm, on a dairy farm, or something like that to even be able to build an idea like this. And as I said, it kind of seems like sex work because she is jacking off (laughs) these minotaurs with these huge, you know, you know, (laughs) with these huge bullcocks and collecting their semen. And it's described like one jar of semen or bottle of semen she described as being something like 24 ounces. Can you imagine? Like, I don't know. That is a lot. (laughs) It is hilarious, her reactions to some of this. But she takes the job anyway, because as I said, she is desperate for money. She doesn't know how she's going to pay her next month's rent, let alone her bills, her student loans, or buy groceries, for that matter. Life in the city is expensive, and she's also under pressure from her mother to move back home, maybe live in the loft above the garage, and get a job, you know, away from the city, in the town where she grew up. I mean, what mother wouldn't want their children to stay close, I suppose? But in this instance, Violet, as much as she likes, loves her parents does not want to move out of the city. Absolutely refuses to admit that she's a failure by moving back in with her parents. So out of desperation, she clicks that job link and she applies. She's horrified by the training videos. But once she meets her first minotaur, she's intrigued. Rourke, her very first minotaur, is what's described as a clock watcher. So they go, they had, I love that they had these tiers describing the different kinds of minotaurs that would come, literally. (laughs) Sorry, the pun was not intended there, but once I realized it, I could, I had to run with it. Anyway, once these minotaurs come, some of them, they're called good little milkers. So they get the technicians who stroke them to dress up like little cows in cow scrubs. There are the clock watchers, which are the ones that are there purely out of business, right? So they go and they get stroked off, but they're watching the clock that whole time because they're on their lunch breaks. 
And this is just a way for them to earn a little bit of extra cash because, hey, why not? And then there were the other ones. Oh, I forget what they were called. They were the ones that were kind of desperate for money and doing this to be able to afford to send their kids to um, sports or take vacations with their families just to have that little extra income. Hey, we've all been there, right? Needing that little bit of extra income for our kids. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go this far, though. <laughs> but tell me in the comments, would you? Anyway, back to the book. So Rourke is a clock watcher. He's there in a business suit. He's watching the clock and in comes Violet. But instead of dropping his drawers and, you know, just watching the clock as he usually would, he takes an immediate interest in her and demands to know if she's even out of school. I guess being human, she looks a lot younger than a grad student would. Um, to a minotaur, I suppose. Maybe she looks childlike or maybe she just looks childlike to him because he's so big. I'm not quite sure there, but to him, she looked like a child. So he refused to drop his drawers until he knew that she was there willingly and that she was of age. Once she reassured him that she had finished grad school and all of this, he didn't seem to mind so much. In fact, he quite enjoyed it. And so did Violet, actually. She didn't think she would. She was quite shy. Um, but she quite enjoyed meeting Rourke and handling his junk. And <laughs> not only did she enjoy it, she was absolutely petrified that she was going to get horny with every minotaur that she stroked. <laughs> she doesn't, though. It's purely for Rourke, but it doesn't stop her from watching Minotaur porn, <laughs> because apparently that's a thing. And I don't know, this book was hilarious. <laughs> it was definitely very fun, but like I said, not my typical read. Um, <sighs> I'm getting so excited here, I'm forgetting what I want to say. Have you ever had that problem in that your mind is going a mile a minute, but your mouth just can't keep up? Or vice versa, in my case. That seems to be what's happening to me right now. So I apologize if I keep getting off course here. But Violet is very taken with Rourke. Like, very taken. She's becoming a sex addict at this point. And it's becoming a bit of a desperate situation for her. But whenever he comes in... He, all, he starts requesting her and only her. He's taken quite an interest in her as well, it would seem. He's leaving her tips, having conversations with her. He has stepped out of the clock watcher role. He had taken quite an interest in this milker, the milk lady. <laughs> yeah, the milk lady. I like that. I'm going to keep going with that one for her. She is the milk lady. Oh, and something I found absolutely hilarious, absolutely hilarious about the whole thing surrounding this farm, which I forgot to mention at the beginning. The reason that there is a pharmaceutical company milking minotaurs for their semen is because they use these 
minotaur semen. There's something in the semen that helps men get it up. Human men get it up. So it's like a minotaur Viagra, I guess you could call it. I died laughing when I read that part. I absolutely died. And I can't believe I forgot to mention it. To get it up, human men are stuck it on bull <laughs> come <laughs> i'm still dying here okay <laughs> anyway um <laughs> it's a multi-million dollar billion dollar company uh industry i mean which should not be <laughs> very shocking at all because i do believe that is a multi-billion dollar company to this day it's hilarious to me. Not that, um, <laughs> not that I find male impotence hilarious. I don't find that hilarious. That's a very serious medical condition for many men. And I'm not making fun of that condition. I am laughing over the source of <laughs> what CM Nacosta has chosen to be the uh, <laughs> medical treatment for this syndrome, this disease. So apologies if anybody get, got offended with that. I, I apologize. Um, anyway, back to the book. I digress. So she is getting quite horny with for Rourke's bulldog. And it turns out that Rourke is getting quite interested in Violet. He's asking her, you know, he asks her about her day and and uh, things like that. And she tells him that one day that she was exploring the town. She got into work early and decided to explore Cambrick Creek a bit. And she went to a coffee shop and had the worst coffee that she has ever had. I'm sorry, but diatomaceous earth does not belong in coffee. It just, it just sounds gross. Like, why are you drinking dirt coffee? It might have medical benefits. I'll give you that. But this just sounded really weird and made me go. <sighs> but then I'm also not a coffee drinker. So coffee makes me want to gag. I love my tea. And Rourke tells her about this other coffee shop that she should try. One that she probably, as a as a tourist, if she didn't know somebody in the town, might not have found. But she goes to this coffee shop one day, and she orders, she's like, so beyond overwhelmed with all the different humanoid species in this cafe, and the various items on the menu that she has no idea what to order. And then when she gets up to the front, she's standing there staring dumbfounded at the menu. Because, like I said, she doesn't know what to order. Because some of that is not okay for humans. Some of it's for um, vampires and whatnot. So she's she has no idea what's good. She's like, I just kind of want a coffee. And <laughs> the barista took pity on her and said, how about a honeycomb latte? That sounded delicious to me. Honeycomb latte. Now, if only I drank coffee. 
But she ordered it and she fell in love. That became her new special treat that she would treat herself with. And she gets her coffee and she's staring around the cafe, unsure of what to do next. When a woman grabs her out of the crowd and starts talking to her, just so that she doesn't cause a bigger scene, um, that she doesn't offend anybody from her staring, things like that. She starts talking to her calmly, friendly, you know, like they'd known each other for forever. And they walk away and they get a table together and this woman tells her that she's a vampire and she was turned in the 80s and she's got a British accent and she's she's fab. She is total sister code here. Okay, she's she starts looking out for this girl almost immediately. And it's fabulous. It's not what I expected. I thought, you know, vampire, she's going to try and talk her into giving her her blood or something like that. But no, she tells Violet all about this cafe for vampires and bleeders. Bleeders being humans who willingly donate their blood for the vampires to consume at this cafe while enjoying their own human meals. It sounded fascinating, but also kind of gross, because <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to eat where I'm bleeding. Fair? Violet immediately, like, takes to this woman, and they become instant best friends. And then, who should walk in but Rourke? Rourke's there, and they start chit-chatting and... And things like that, which is totally against the code of ethics for relationships between the milkers and the milkies at this morning glory farm. But who cares? We've got budding romance here. And if they start sticking to the rules, we are never going to get anywhere with this relationship. And this relationship was slow. It was mind-bogglingly slow how it developed. I mean, I guess in the course of the book, it's not bad because it's a small, short book. But I just found their relationship took far too long to get where it needed to go. In fact, by the end of the book, they hadn't even moved in together. Spoiler! But she is getting an apartment nearby and sort of leaving her job anyway. I am skipping ahead. Oh, God. How do you guys listen to this? I'm all over the place and driving myself nuts. Anyway, (laughs) their relationship starts to progress, and she overhears somebody talking to Rourke about someone named Luriel, who apparently is his neighbor that he goes to all these parties with. And there's a party coming up on their block, and somebody is inviting him to come and wondering if L'Oreal is going to be coming with him. So instantly, Violet is like, oh my god, he's married or has a girlfriend, and I'm flirting with him, what the hell am I doing? Right? So she kind of starts putting, trying to put boundaries between them. It doesn't really work, and then she straight out asks him who L'Oreal is, and he dies laughing. He's like, she's my neighbor, she's my best friend, and she is dating an orc, so you've got no worries there. 
It was hilarious. You have to read this book. I'm telling you, the way that I'm talking about it is not doing it justice. Probably the only monster bait that I will read, but who knows what the future will hold. Anyway, they start dating and then she finds out... Oh no, they're not dating at this point yet. Sorry. Rewind. Then she overhears another Minotaur talking while she's, you know, working. And he's on the phone with somebody else talking about getting um, rings inserted. So in Minotaur culture, a ring through the nose is a symbol of marriage. And guess who has a ring through his nose? That's right, Rourke. So once again, we've got this theory that he might be cheating on somebody or flirting with her in a relationship that has no chance of getting off the ground because she absolutely will not be the other woman. And I've got to applaud her on that because some women out there, some people out there just don't seem to care or they are so much in love that they are blind to it. But also, there are people that just don't ask too many questions. Don't know, don't care. And not to say that some people also don't do their very best to hide it. But in this case, Rourke is not doing a very good job of hiding anything. Although, I guess he would have the reasonable expectation of her not knowing because she's not familiar with the Minotaur culture. But how could he expect her not to learn about it in a situation where she's literally handling hundreds, if not thousands, of bullcocks every week? Like, hello? So she demands to know all about it. And he tells her that he's divorced. But he never got around to taking the ring out of his nose because it was painful to put in there, and he's kind of a chicken. <laughs> Minotaur's a chicken. I found that hilarious. Like I said, funny book. I I think I've said that about a thousand times so far, so <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, he is <laughs> he is amused, and he tells her about his divorce, and she demands that before they go on a date. He takes that ring out of his nose. And it's a fair demand, honestly. But then she gets called out of town quite suddenly and she's gone for a couple of weeks because her aunt died, which was horrible and tragic. And she had to go back home to help her mother uh, make funeral arrangements and sort through her, her, I think it's her aunt. It might be her grandmother, but I'm pretty sure it was her aunt. Um, go through her belongings and things like that. So she's there. She's gone for a couple of weeks at this point. And of course, as well-meaning mothers do for their single children, while she's back home, her mother sets her up on a date with her friend's divorced son who just moved back home himself. Violet doesn't want anything to do with it. And now that she has learned about Minotaurs, she just... I guess once you go Minotaur, you never go back. I guess that's the saying for this book. <laughs> and the date is a d complete disaster. She does not want anything to do with this guy. And when she gets back to Cambric Creek, 
she is met with a very disgruntled Rourke, who demands to know where she's been. So she tells him exactly where she's been and what's been going on, and is delighted to learn that he missed her. And he's surprised her by getting that ring out of his nose. And he wanted to show it off, but she wasn't there. So, of course, he got even more grumpy. And that's when they decide to take their relationship to another level. They go on their first date to a bar where she is too small for the chairs. And he introduces her to his best friend, L'Oreal, who happens to be a very tiny fairy. Or was she an elf? No, I think she was a fairy. And she's very small too, but a very bright personality, very funny, very warm and welcoming to Violet. And it relieves Violet quite a bit, actually, because she likes this girl. And (laughs) knowing that um, he is willing to introduce her to these people that she's heard about and had suspicions about kind of relieves her anxieties a bit. And now she's horny as hell because she's got nothing to hold her back anymore. But Rourke is a gentleman. He is not moving this relationship too fast because he likes her too much to watch this relationship fizzle out and die too soon. And also because he's very cautious after being divorced. I guess his ex-wife kind of took him to the cleaners a bit, as some ex-wives do. And and she um, she is not happy about this gentlemanly behavior. In fact, she hates it. And she keeps doing everything she can to catch his attention. Until her vampire friend suggests one day, Hey, why don't you wear a very short dress? And no underwear on your next date. It's kind of risky for this shy Violet who had no intention of doing things like this before she ever came to Cambrick Creek. But she is emboldened. She is horny. And she is sporting nothing under that borrowed little black dress. And she makes sure that Rourke gets quite a few flashes of what's not underneath that fabric. And while they're at the restaurant, he's shifting in his chair and doing all this other stuff. And then he scoots in closer to her. And his hand moves. And it moves all the way up her thigh. And exactly where she has been dying to be touched for what I assume now has been months of them dating. And he gives it to her right there in the middle of the restaurant. And she has a mind-blowing orgasm. And then she takes him back to her place. And he gives her more mind-blowing orgasms. And she gives him one in return. But he pulls out. And he does not take it any further than oral. And this one made me howl. Because his reason for it was that with his size and weight, her bed would 
fall through the floor if he were to knock boots with her in her apartment. So they make plans for another date, a weekend date at his place. And it is everything she imagined and more. And yeah, 24 ounces of bull semen seems to be right up her alley. But she doesn't seem to mind. She loves it. She loves every minute of it. She loves being stretched as far as she could possibly be stretched. And he is loving her tight little, you know. And it's, I guess, a match made in heaven. And this is where he made a comment to her that just about had me dying. Okay? Because if you know anything about Greek mythology, you might remember the stories about the minotaurs that live in labyrinths. And humans were sent in as sacrifices to these minotaurs so that they wouldn't come out of the labyrinths and destroy everything. Well, here's what he says about that. And I'm quoting here. Do you know what happened to the tributes in the labyrinth, Violet? They were given to the minotaur to appease his lust. His insatiable lust that no human could... They had to send new tributes every year, but the old ones never left. They stayed behind because they were addicted to the way they were filled. Addicted to the way they were fucked by the bull. Whew. I'm fanning myself here. <laughs> this is in the Greek mythology. All of these tributes were murdered or eaten and feasted on by these minotaurs. But CM Nikasa has completely rewritten that. Completely rewritten it because these tributes were not eaten in the way that people were assumed they were eaten. In fact, it looks like they became sex addicts. And that very much seems to be what dear Violet has become with her precious Rourke. And then they start this really cute couple relationship where she's staying over at his place regularly and they're talking about getting plants together and she decides to get an apartment nearby. And the reason she decides to get an apartment is because she's afraid to move too fast with Rourke. So even though he's okay with her moving in, she wants her own space nearby in case things don't work out. So even though she is hot as hell for this bull, she is also not taking any chances. So she's pretty smart in that way. And in Cambrick Creek, it doesn't take, it doesn't make anyone bat their eyelashes that a minotaur and a human are together. In fact, there's quite a few mixed relationships in this town, which is what makes this town so desirable because there's nobody here to judge and everything is catered around these monsters. They, we've got mothmen and fairies and orcs and minotaurs, all kinds of monsters. And that's what works 
best with Cambrick Creek. Outside of Cambrick Creek, however, and it is mentioned in this book, that her being with a minotaur was kind of frowned upon. They would get stares everywhere, but nobody seems to make a comment towards it. But all this time that she is dating him, she does not tell her mother that she is dating. In fact, she doesn't even tell her mother anything about what she's been doing for a living. Until the very end of the book, where she decides that it's getting serious with Rourke. She's planning to have a life with him. She's moving to Cambrick Creek to be nearer to him and to start a career in her field. And she's still planning on keeping her job at the Morning Glory milking farm. But she doesn't want to keep this from her parents anymore. So at the very end of the book, she tells her mother, I'm moving to Cambrick Creek. This is what I've been doing for a living. I have a boyfriend, so please stop trying to fix me up with your friend's divorced loser son. And yeah, by the way, he's a minotaur. Sadly, we don't get the, ma- the mother's reaction. We don't really get much of anybody's negative reaction, which I don't know if it was by design or if we just wanted to focus on the romance of this story, which honestly, I'm not sure how much romance is actually in it because Violet was clearly horny as hell through the majority of the book. I highly recommend reading it just for fun, bookworms. So with that, I am... That is it. That is The Morning Glory Milking Farm by Z.M. Nacosta. If you read it, I want to hear all about it. If you have read it, I want to know your thoughts. So leave a comment or stop by my web page and leave a comment there. I am authorfrancisEverly.ca. You can find, I have a specific page on my website dedicated to this podcast. And you can take a look, you can make comments and tell me your thoughts. I would love to hear them. And send me your suggestions. I could use some ideas for some summer reads. Talk to you later, bookworms. And until next time, keep reading and enjoy. I want to hear all about everything that you've been. Let's deal with the fact.